Greetings, fellow travelers. Welcome to the 57th level of the RPG Cave. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Turford, the man on the moose, the level 99 human archmage. And I'm joined, as always, by the level 99 elf medic who actually leveled up in real life yesterday, Mr. Garrett Bland. Garrett, how are you doing on this lovely, lovely Tuesday evening? It's Tuesday, by the way, because it was Garrett's birthday yesterday. So say everyone in the chat, say happy birthday to Garrett. Because it was Garrett's birthday yesterday. It's very exciting. Go Thank you so much. Yes, I leveled up in real life. I can't believe it. Next age, and we just keep on going. I, I've, I've realized that. So, but everything's going good. I had a good birthday. It was pretty chill. Um, yeah, and I, I think I just wanted to celebrate yesterday. So that's why we didn't record yesterday. But yeah. definitely here. Definitely in for it for today. I'm very excited what we're about to talk about in this episode. How are you doing, Ryan? I mean. I'm doing well as well. You know, I figured you of all people would be hyped for this one. I know um, this is one you've wanted to talk about forever. And we've been kind of been holding it off because we knew Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is coming this week. We're like four days away. This Um, week. Almost three days away when, you know, the clock strikes midnight while we're, you know, recording this from Xenoblade Chronicles mm-hmm. 3 being in our hands. But of course, we got to celebrate it the best way we know how, of course. Talking about Xenoblade Chronicles, the series, which um, back in our uh, back also on our fan poll that we did, the survey that we did, this was one of the recommendations. People really wanted cool. us to do a Xenoblade episode. So we we'll are also, it. we are not only just making Garrett Bland very happy with this, but we're also making you, the fans, very happy with this as well. So thank you very much to everyone who gave us that suggestion. We got a couple of people suggest. Thank Zero you. Blade. Yeah. But before we get into all that, Garrett, we got to clean the garage or the dungeon, depending on what show you're actually doing, you know, in order the to get the show mops. started. So number one, if you like the show and you like what we do and you're watching the live stream right now on youtube.com slash carpool gaming, or if you're watching the the video on demand, because I know this is pretty late for a lot of people, you can make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, don't forget to hit that notification bell to be notified whenever we go live with our new videos or when we have a new live stream, like the surprise live stream that's happening on Thursday because it's Sean Capri's birthday on Thursday and Sean's doing a live stream from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Yes, Sean, I did that for you, even I, even though I always say Eastern Standard Time. So on, on Thursday, come hang out. We're, we're going to be having fun with the community all day on Thursday. So you can check us out. Or the Xbox Drive hits 250 episodes tomorrow, and we're giving away 250 oh, games. So that'll be a That's fun episode. That's a lot of games. To chill out. For. That's well, like you a, know, what, what the .io store. Like you got 976 games for like two cents. It's, it's kind of like that. Right. The best part is we've, so many. we've talked about this on other shows before, Garrett, but we have actually like a, a, a spreadsheet of, you know, giveaway codes and there's like 2000 codes on there. So this just barely puts a dent in that. So like expect oh more, goodness. more weird and crazy stuff like this happening soon. But if you want 250 Xbox games and you're watching right now, go over just to our Twitter at Carpool Gaming <laughs> right now. Go enter because it's a lot of games and there's a lot of good ones in there. Do it. So definitely make sure to enter for that. A lot of great ones. Also, if you're listening on audio feeds, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, don't forget to rate us there as well. Also, if you want this show a little bit early or just the plethora of exclusive content over on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash carpool gaming, throw a little tip in the old tip jar and outcomes content, including the nice. uh, the geek outs. Scott Pilgrim, our read along section has hit the halfway point. We're, we're pretty close 
to the end that's of cool. that series. And that's been super fun to do with Sean. So check us out there. And then last but not least, if you want an RPG Cave t-shirt or any of our other merch, head on over to our merch store, bit.ly slash CPG merch. And actually, uh, because we were, uh, you know, a partner on YouTube now, um, you'll actually be able to see the merch start to pop up on the YouTube page fairly soon. It's not up oh, there yet, cool. but probably pretty soon you'll actually be able to buy it straight from the YouTube channel, which is awesome. So check us out there as well. Without further ado, though, Garrett, I am not going to prolong this any further. It's time to read from the sacred texts, because it is time to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles. And no, we're not just talking about the first game. About. We're just, just talking about the series Xenoblade Chronicles, because, again, okay. we want to touch on all the games and, 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 you know, give them their fair justice. Even though I haven't played all the games, definitely of the two of us, you know, Garrett's definitely the expert on Xenoblade between the two of us. Um, I played more. Yeah, yes, for sure. So real quick, Garrett, I'm going to ask the question I always ask when we cover a series like this first, before I get into fun facts, which is, okay, where did you get your start with Xenoblade? Like, what game did you start with? Uh, so I started with actually Xenoblade Chronicles 1. And actually, I started with that one on the 3DS. So when I got the new 3DS XL, <laughs> I decided, hey, there's an exclusive RPG that's ported from the Wii that I heard is super cool. That's called Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm going to try it out on the 3DS. And that's what I did for probably, I don't know, like five or six hours or so. And I'm like, yeah, this is really hard <laughs> to, to look at everything that's going on in this screen. Yeah. Um, it's very pixelated. I, I forgot what the resolution of that thing was. It must have been like 300, 400p or something like no, that. No, no, it it's, it's even smaller than that. I actually think it's like, it's 240p, I believe, yeah. Which is just oh my goodness, fun. guys! Put put your quality on a 240p in a YouTube video. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It's just a pixelated mess. Or if you just um, pump, plug in any old console with your your composite cable or your um your yeah your composite cables like your red mm -hmm. and white cables like that exports yeah. in 240p as well. So same same resolution um, yeah. as the NES, Garrett. The same resolution as the NES. That's wonderful. Um, but yeah, I started out with that. I kind of gave up on it just because I think it, it, it's really hard on the 3DS to, to like look at everything. I was actually a good chunk of the way in. I was probably maybe seven or eight hours into it. But like, man, dude, the 3DS one, it, it was like trying to scope out this big world. And I'm like, I cannot see myself i literally don't know where i am so i kind of gave up with xenoblade chronicles 1 on the 3ds then i went and um got on the switch i did get xenoblade chronicles 2 very early like i think it was close to holiday 2017 <laughs> um but i didn't really get into it until i actually got xenoblade chronicles definitive edition back in 2020 and I beat the whole game there, plus Future Connected. And then I just recently beat Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and very close to finishing up Torna. So I'm more of a recent Xenoblade fan than I think a lot of other people that have been playing this series for a good while, maybe ever since, you know, it came out on the Wii back in, what, 2007 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's been good. Um, yeah, that's basically my story. What about you? So... I actually started with the first one as well, but I played it on the Wii mm -hmm. because I was one of those people that, yes. you know, um, we'll talk about, you know, the history of that game in just a second. But I just 
you know, after everything that that game went through to even come out in North America. And I liked the the Xeno Saga games. I was like, OK, I'll, I mm-hmm. want to give this game a try. And man, man if you want to talk about an ugly game on, on a console, the Wii yeah. version of Xenoblade Chronicles is uh, also not very good to look at either uh, for much of the same reason. We're getting, we've got this like, you know, giant world that it's trying to, to portray. But the Wii is not the console for that, um, especially because of like the no. draw distance in particular just kind of ruined the experience. And uh, the combat just wasn't as fun on the mm-hmm. Wii version versus, you know, playing the definitive version on the Switch for you know, the original Xenoblade. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I got my start. Um, I did actually end up getting a copy of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, full disclosure, from Nintendo for review. Oh, wow. When, when, when it came out on Switch. Because um, that was around mm-hmm. the time when we were, when I was on Game Moose and we ha- we reviewed cool. Nintendo games there. Um, so I did play it that way, um, but I never finished it. Um, we also didn't have it ahead of time either. It was like, um, we got it, you know, the day it came out. Um, so we were mm-hmm. not, um, I wasn't super incentivized to keep going with it. So one of my, you know, podcasts, you know, uh, the other podcast members ended up actually mm-hmm. taking on the review from me. Um, but I think my issue with Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I've talked about it many times, is just how it runs on Switch is not you know, ideal. Yeah. It runs, definitely That's runs best. better than Xenoblade Chronicles on the 3DS or on the Wii does, yes. but it's still just not a step in the right direction. I mean, it did the, the fact that they, it felt like they took a step backwards in the way that game felt versus, you know, playing a game like Xenosaga on the PlayStation 2 was just, it, it kind of hurt me a little bit. So it kind of scared me okay. off that game. But so um, I'm, I'm definitely someone that's been on the periphery with, the, with Xenoblade Chronicles games. But there's one that I really got into that we'll talk about in a little bit. So I, I want to save that for okay. for later when we get to that particular game. But Gary, Sounds good. I think it's time for me to hit you with some fun facts before I kind of let you take me the with those lead fun facts. on this show. So first off, we talked at least a little bit about the history of Xenoblade Chronicles on the Monosoft episode that we did a long time ago. So if you want to hear kind of us go more into the history of it as you know by chronicles development including you know talking about the first game in particular a lot um you can go back and listen to that episode because we did talk about it a lot there um and it's actually uh, like our most played episode as well so i know a lot of people have checked that out oh, wow. as well um but xenoblade chronicles itself is technically part of the xeno series but none of the games are necessarily connected Got together it. or anything like that um, so the Xeno series, for those that are unfamiliar, includes Xeno Gears, which is on the PlayStation 1, which is owned by Square mm-hmm. Enix, and then the Xeno Saga Trilogy, which is on PlayStation 2 and owned by Bandai Namco, and then, of course, Xenoblade Chronicles, owned by Nintendo on the Switch, which is just the weirdest thing to think Bo- about. Bonnelis is just out here, it's like... Here, Bandai, you can have my Xeno series. Here, Square Enix, you can have my Xeno series. It's just like, <laughs> it's so weird that, you know, you have this weird Xeno kind of prefix word in all of these series, and they're just kind of just disparate in all of these companies. And it's yeah. all just made by Monolith. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, Monolith it's almost soft, like you yeah. can you can tell it's a Monolith soft game if it's got Xeno in the title. Like that's almost like mm-hmm. their moniker rather than, you know, looking at the company name in the in the copyright yeah. section on the box or on the title screen or whatever, uh, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Although, uh, as we talked about in the Monolith soft episode, they made a whole bunch of other games that aren't Xeno games like Project X Code or uh, Namco Cross Capcom or um, Bat and Kaidos and stuff like that. So there's a whole bunch of other games that they made that aren't 
you know, in this chain. But what kind of ties all these games together is even though they don't take place in the same universe or anything like that, and they don't have crossover characters except for a couple that we'll talk mm-hmm. about because um, we actually had a question about this, um, there is one thing that kind of links them together, and that's kind of some of the themes that are pro- that are in some of these games or likewise a game like Xenoblade, Chron- uh, uh, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is like a spiritual successor to Xenogears in particular. Um, so there are examples where mm-hmm. they're, you know, similar in style or they feel like spiritual successors, but they're not, again, not really like they're, they're more like final fantasy where they're, they have similar elements, but they have different characters, different worlds and just different yeah. aspects to them is how I would think. Of yeah. That. It's interesting that they chose the word Xeno because I, I just looked up the, that prefix word and it's meaning alien, strange or guest. Mm-hmm. Um, so something otherworldly, something alien, something outside. Um, that's an interesting word to go by with all of these games. It yeah. kind of fits with Xenoblade Chronicles. I don't know about the other games. Well, they're all sci-fi games. Yeah. So that kind of they're makes all sense. sci-fi games. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Because Xeno Gears is like a mech fighting, almost like a Gundam RPG in a lot of ways. So like it's yeah. turn-based. It's got mechs. It's got anime cutscenes, and it's very spacey. And then Xeno Saga is very much in outer space. You're, you're, you know, it, it, that feels actually closer to something like Star Trek more than anything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I would say Xenoblade Chronicles more is the most down to earth than compared yeah. to those games. Exactly. Yeah, like, you're not really traveling to different planets in this game or anything like that. Like you're doing in you know Xeno Saga or Xeno Gears. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. after Monolith Soft's purchase by Nintendo in 2007, which was actually driven by the commercial failure of Xeno Saga, because as much as I like those games, they did not sell well even though they made three mm. of them um they, they tried to get people into them but it was just it was too too much um they actually immediately started development on a new game the idea for the game came from monosoft employee uh, tetsuya takahashi's concept of people living on the backs of these large creatures and we talked about this back mm-hmm. on the monosoft episode but they when when he had this idea um it, it, he was ha- having a hard time kind of you know explained the concept to the team so they actually built models of like the two you know alien like yeah. two the like, titans that you're walking on the back of in the original xenoblade chronicles um as like these mm-hmm. wooden models um and there's pictures of them on on the internet you can go check them out because they, they look really 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 cool um some of the development mm-hmm. shots that they came up with for this game so i love that idea that it came from this like crazy idea in his head that hey these people just live off the back of the backs of these two titans and that's the worlds that they live on so the game itself Mm -hmm. wasn't originally going to be called xenoblade chronicles it was actually originally going to be called monado beginning of the world but the game was Mm. the game was actually renamed to xenoblade chronicles as a suggestion by satoru iwata to honor the team's legacy and their work and 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 it was almost like nintendo kind of giving them the green light hey we know this isn't super connected to the other xeno games but like you know your hard work and dedication on this project as well as helping nintendo with other stuff we want to reward you by letting you having this it be part of this series of games which is interesting but mm-hmm. so Xenoblade Chronicles itself started development in 2007, as I mentioned, and it arrived on the Wii in Japan on June 10th, 2010. The North American version, however, would take almost two years to release, and it came out on April 6th, 2012. 
thanks to a fan movement called Operation Rainfall to get this game localized. Uh, there was a, there was like a trio of games on the Wii um, that were all RPGs um, that w- didn't look like they were ever going to come to North America at all. Um, so there was this giant fan petition called Operation Rainfall. It was this whole big internet movement to kind of get these over. And after Nin- mm-hmm. Nintendo saw this demand, they said, okay, We'll bring these games over. And if they don't sell, it's your guys's fault. And don't expect any more of them. And two of the three of them never received sequels. Cause again, we got Xenoblade Chronicles, yes. which we know obviously got sequels, but then we had the last story, um, which was made by story. some, mm-hmm. some uh, like X square Enix employees who worked on final fantasy. Um, and then we also got Pandora's tower as well, which is almost like a, mm. a horror RPG. Um, it's actually a pretty interesting game too. Um, but, but these games were in super low print runs as Nintendo does. Like they were very, very hard to find. Like I remember going to, to GameStop or EB games here in Canada at the time and trying to find mm-hmm. a copy of Xenoblade Chronicles. The end. And the reason you had to go to EB games was it was an EB game slash GameStop exclusive in North America. They didn't sell interesting. it at any other retailer. You had to go there. You couldn't pre-order it either. So you had to physically show up the day that it went on sale and hope you got one because like most stores got like five copies. So that's crazy. Yeah. It was actually like the Wii version of Xenoblade Chronicles was super rare for a long time. It was actually a very expensive game if you wanted to pick it up on eBay, because it, it was a game in high demand, you know, way before mm-hmm. the 3DS version or the, or the Switch version came out. Um, and they just, it was in low print run. It, it had a similar situation to the Metroid Prime trilogy when they did that re-release for the Wii, which also had this like steelbook case on it. Um, and they made that like super limited. I think like stores got like three per store and it was also EB Games exclusive. So it's just like mm-hmm. Nintendo mm-hmm. was doing some ridiculous stuff with the Wii at the time. Um, and it made me very sad. But luckily, after yeah. a couple of reprints that they went back, because after they, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles sold so well, Nintendo went back and reprinted more and more and more to, more of them. And so that we, we definitely got more of them out in the wild to the point now where if you want the original Xenoblade Chronicles on Wii, it's actually not that expensive of a game, which is nice. Cool. But, that sounds yeah. good. I actually did not know it came out so late in 2012. Yeah. That's like after the 3DS release. Yeah. That's like after Skyrim release. It was one I, of the last I, re- it was one of the last releases on the Wii at all. Yes. <laughs> Which and is- I had a Wii, so I could have grabbed this, but I guess I just didn't know what Xen I was not into this. I was like, I had no idea what Xenoblade Chronicles was until yeah. the 3DS, so Pretty yeah. interesting. I had only heard rumblings on because because like 2011 was when I first started really getting to podcasts. Um, and at mm-hmm. the time I was listening to you know, stuff like iGen Games Group and stuff like that. And they were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, they were chronicling the whole movement that was Operation Rainfall. And it was a really like interesting story to learn about and how like you know, the fans or the ones that actually got this game to come out here to, to they, they were so loud. They got the attention of Nintendo at a time where we just didn't really see stuff like this. Cause you have to remember that like Twitter was around at mm-hmm. this time, but this was well before, you know, people were taken to Twitter to yell, you know, publishers or developers That's true. were really just asking for anything. Um, so it was just a really interesting scenario about how this came to North America. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's a little history lesson on how it came here. Of course, 
as Garrett mentioned, they it did get also get a 3DS iteration on April 10th, 2015 in North America. And then we have, of course, got the, the remake on the Switch called Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition on May 29th, 2020. So that's kind of your history lesson about the original Xenoblade Chronicles. I'll talk more about a little bit about the history of some of the other games as we get to them, because I want us to talk mm-hmm. about some of the games. But before we get into that as well, and before we start breaking down Xenoblade Chronicles, I have a couple questions from the community, Garrett, that I want us to tackle now. Let's do it. Because it feels like the, this is like a fitting time to ask some of these. So number one comes to us from Mike at Blaze Knight 0923, who asked the question, do these games relate to the Xeno Saga games at all? I want to play as Cosmos again. And even though someone on Twitter actually already answered this for Mike, um, Cosmos is actually an unlockable sword in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So mm-hmm. you can have Cosmos that way, but that's it. Otherwise, no other characters really cross over and it's not really yeah, similar. There's absolutely no connection. And Cosmos is the rarest uh, blade to get in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so good luck yeah. uh, try to summoning Cosmos because it'll take probably more than a playthrough's time through Xenoblade Chronicles 2 to get uh, Cosmos. It's but, fine it's yeah. not that long I'm sure Xenoblade Chronicles 2 isn't a long game as I say <laughs> laughing while I'm saying that Garrett. good god well uh, we've also got Skycatcher Gaming on the discord who asked the question Xenoblade versus Star Ocean versus Fantasy Star which one is the best series? I haven't played any of them with the exception of like two hours of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. They all seem like the same kind of game. Well, I'm here That's to kind of... That's an interesting observation. I'm here to correct you at least a little bit, Skycatcher Games, because they're actually pretty different from each other. Um, I, okay. I, first of all, like Star, Star Ocean and Fantasy Star are the most similar between the three of them because um, Fantasy Star has a lot of you know space exploration in it it's it's closer mm-hmm. to something like xeno saga is as far as its story is concerned um and star ocean's kind mm-hmm. of in the same boat as well um especially with like the new star ocean that looks like it's coming out you know later this year um like that game looks like there's a lot of space traveling in that game too so um mm-hmm. they, they're very different thematically but even gameplay wise, all three of them are very different from each other because Xenoblade <laughs> yeah. is like a turn base. It's almost like an MMO in a lot of ways where you it's have, very much like an MMO. Yeah. Yeah. We've got like automated combat and then you, you've got skills that you activate, um, whereas Scar- Star Ocean is very much an action RPG series. It always very much has been since the original on the PlayStation one. And then Fantasy Star has started out as turn based and then it became an MMO after that. So, yeah, um, it, star online. Yep. Yeah. So all three of those are like very different from each other. Garrett, I know you've only really played Xenoblade of the three, right? So you haven't really played too much yeah, of star. Ocean I played or a little bit star? of, yeah, I played a little bit of fantasy star online. I was not digging it at all compared to M- other MMOs. Star ocean has very, has been so elusive to me. I like every time I see a star ocean games, like where do I start? It's like, well, you can start here. You can start there. You can start there. It's just like, I think I'm good. I will play other role playing games. And yeah. I, star ocean seemed one of the more obtuse jrpgs than like the ones that i really need to get to like final fantasy and dragon quest and stuff like that so yeah star ocean has never been the top of my list and they haven't the recent games haven't been reviewing very well so yeah it's a very very niche series it's not like super popular it's one of square enix's properties that is on what i would consider on like the lower tier as far as popularity is concerned c tier but they're also like hit or miss because again some of the star ocean games are really good and some of them are 
or integrity and faithlessness, which is not good at all. But uh, <laughs> you just don't want to play it. No, <laughs> but I would say like if this game that comes out this year comes out, I actually would say for people who want to get started with Star Ocean, that's probably the place to start because it's kind of like Xenoblade. Definitely. Where they're not. Well, actually, it's not like Xenoblade at all. It's more like the Xeno series where it's not really connected. It's more like Final Fantasy. Where at all. Can, each games are kind of independent from each other so you could jump mm-hmm. in that way and with, if with fantasy star if anyone's out there who wants to get into fantasy star honestly i would just go on nintendo switch online and just play the fantasy and star games play the on, fantasy star games in there yeah uh, on there um because they're really good or you know download uh fantasy star one which is a sega ages game uh on the switch i think it usually say, uh, is on sale for a dollar um that's a master system game but it's really it's a really good rpg it's turn-based um but it's it's really good so um fantasy star nice. i think like if you don't like rp uh, mmos like go back and play the old games they're still great they still play great today they have incredible music and visuals so go check those out but um for me i, I mean cool. i personally have more attachment of the three to fantasy star because i do love those genesis games and and the master system original um but i know garrett you're probably like you know all about xenoblade on this list so there yes go. definitely There's um, but it's an interesting observation. They like maybe same type of game. He means like it, it looks otherworldly, you know, right. like all of them do. I know Star Ocean Fantasy Star definitely has more space exploration focused. Um, but yeah, they all seem pretty alien or explorative and, and stuff yeah. like that. So an interesting observation. But well, that's also saying like a game sure. like Half-Life and Halo are like the same type of game because they both have space alien stuff in them which yeah. is not that close. So that I would say that kind of comparison is how I would compare these together as well. So sounds good. There you go. Well, let's start off talking about Xenoblade Chronicles, the original Garrett, because this is the one where cool. definitely we played the most of. Um, again, I, I yes, mentioned before, did. I've never finished it. Um, and you just finished it pretty recently, right? Yes, I beat it back in 2020. Um, and actually me and Sean Capri had a full review of it um back in the day so go check that out um we we had a really good time together of just hacking it out with xenoblade chronicles the definitive the definitive edition and (laughs) it was our first time both playing it and we just went through like everything so um but yeah it was definitely one of my favorite games of 2020 i really enjoyed it um did you play the definitive edition I guess a little yeah, bit on switch. I, okay. I never, oh. I never finished that one, but I got pretty far in it. I, I really like that game. I actually think, mm-hmm. you know, of the, the Xenoblade games I played, it's one of my favorites. Although again, I'll talk to my, about my actual favorite one pretty soon, but yeah, um, I like Xenoblade Chronicles a lot. Um, and again, I think the, the, the switch definitive edition is the way it should have been from the beginning. Like I, I think that, yes. You know, it's such a great version of that game versus, you know, the the two troubled versions that we talked about earlier. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if more people would have started with that one, um, especially because it's weird that it came out after Xenoblade Chronicles 2, um, that uh, I think people, more people would probably be in this series if it came out first before Xenoblade Chronicles yeah. 2 or if this is the version we got originally. Like, I think it would be really cool. People would just be more into this, but I like this game a lot. Yeah, like yeah. I do think though, there are some outdated elements to it. For example, there's like a bajillion side quest in this game, which is something I don't personally love. Like if, like if you read into the development of this game, like they really were trying to take you know, Western RPG design elements and infuse them with a JRPG. And that's 
very much what they, they they tried to do the Witcher thing with like a bajillion side quests, which, you know, for me personally, I do, it doesn't you know appeal to me. But Garrett, I think you're more open to that type yeah, of game. I think I I think the side quests in Xenoblade Chronicles One, um, it was a lot of fetch quests, a lot yeah. of things that are very subsurface level. It didn't really it wasn't required unless you wanted to level up a lot compared to like the main story. And I think that's one of the drawbacks of this game in this series. I don't think Monolith Soft really understands the leveling system compared to its combat and the pacing. Unless you are a JRPG fan and you spend tens and to hundreds of hours wanting to get into side quests, you will have no problem, you know, going back to the main story and kind of beating the certain bosses, whatever. But even for me, I struggled going through this game if I didn't side quest, if I didn't do other extra things, if I didn't pull it back a difficulty down. Like yeah. sometimes I had to make those concessions to even get through the game. But that's one of the negatives. Um, but I want to speak about the huge positives of this game. As you said, it was Western role-playing game elements smashed into a JRPG world. I think what really captivated me in this game was this big, vast open areas. <laughs> um, especially in, of course, the synopsis of Xenoblade Chronicles 1, there are two Titans um, that are at war with each other, and there's factions on these Titans. These Titans are these big, huge, um, mythical creatures. They're kind of like Earth-like objects in a way, and they look like mechs. Uh, from a distance and then you have humans and other type of species kind of living on there and so kind of the world around it they build around that that world on those two titans and they make it so open so big it makes it feel like full of life there's a lot of different vast areas from mm. beginning to end um, there's grasslands there's volcanoes there's rocks and i think that's what they initially wanted to bring out in that game is just how diverse and the biomes can be, how different they can be. And then they put in the music and then they put in so many different areas into this huge open area in all of these games. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what really shines um, in Xenoblade Chronicles 1 um, and 2 a little bit, but more so for 1. Um, do, yeah. do you have anything more to speak on that? No, actually, I think you, you nailed it. In fact, it was interesting because, you know, going into Xenoblade Chronicles, like hearing, you know, the, the plot synopsis of the game before I played it, I thought I was a little bit worried that, you know, you'd go into a game like this and you would it would almost feel like Final Fantasy 13, where you would be running in a straight line because you'd yeah. be so confined because I figured, oh, well, if you're on the back of this, you know, giant thing, how big could that actually be? How big could this world actually be? But, you know, you you get, you know, after you get out of kind of like the tutorial area at the beginning, like you've got so much area to go and explore and, and do other things with. Um, and to your point, Garrett, about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like, that's one of the things I didn't love as much about the second game where it almost felt like it was going like too sky piratey. For me, where like where it was yes, more like it was you know, go, traveling, you know, from place to place above the clouds versus I liked more of like almost like, almost having like this like Earth like place, but all, just on the back mm -hmm. of this, you know, giant Titan in Xenoblade Chronicles, the original. So, yeah, uh, yeah. that's one of the things and I like. So about. Also, a, I like the sorry. Go ahead, Garrett. No, no, you go ahead. I just what, what did you like about Xenoblade Chronicles? So the other thing I wanted to transition to as well is I, I really like the characters and the story in the original as well. Like I like for sure you know, the, the writing a lot in the first game 
Um, and I think it's honestly, I think of, of all the games, I think it's probably the strongest one when it comes to that. Although you might argue against me, maybe with something like Xenoblade Chronicles two or Torna. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I really like the story in the first one as well. Like I really got into it. Um, like the only reason I never ended up finishing it was I had put it down once and I never went back to it. And I feel like Mm -hmm. if I go back to it again, you know, I'd have to pretty much start over from the beginning, I think, because it's been so long since I played it. Um, but I just, you know, really, really got it sucked into the world and the story in a big way. So mm-hmm. I actually think a lot of that stuff is really good. I also like the voice acting as well. I know kind of like the British voice, voice acting, like the British accents are kind of like a turnoff for some people. Um, but I don't know. I liked it because you don't really get, you know, that style of voice in a lot of games. Like a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. JRPGs, they get localized. They're, you know, very, you know, American sounding voices in your JRPG wars this this summer on they tried to go for you know European accents for a lot of the characters which mm-hmm. I liked yeah I'll speak more about the characters and story um Xenoblade Chronicles 1 really impressed me from beginning to end um it was very the story is very coherent it delivers really well. The writing is fantastic. Um, and the characters are so endearing. Like as you go throughout your adventure, um, you're kind of trying to resolve this conflict or this war that's that's battling out. And you're, you're chasing down these certain people in the beginning of the game. Um, and it, from beginning to end, though, like the cutscenes, um, the animations and like the delivery of dialogue and all of these characters very well done and made me grow really close to these characters especially shulk um the main character um i love how you know they they put in enough information for you to understand the story but you're still not sure what what it actually is in the end like you don't know until the very end of the game same thing happens with xenoblade chronicles 2 you go out through this story and you're like okay I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm definitely excited to hear what's happening next. And and they break down into certain chapters in both games. And so they do a pretty good job. It's like, oh, I'm done with chapter one. Let me dive into chapter two and like figure out what's what's the next step and what's the next role. Um, And then especially these cutscenes that are in Xenoblade Chronicles one animations. Um, I I got emotional (laughs) on a lot of these characters and a lot of these scenes. They pull in plot twists the the villains are ruthless the and and like the adventure is just like hectic it's definitely like a one of the better jrpg stories i have i i have ever played for sure yeah and and that very much comes from you know the development of games like xenosaga because one of the things that the xenosaga games in particular are very famous for are they're giant cutscenes because they're like they have like mm-hmm. super long cutscenes. I think there's one cutscene in one of the games. I think it in Zeno, but it's Zeno Saga three. That's like two and a half hours long. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Like it's almost like you're watching a movie where you're that's you, going on. But they but they do the same thing there where they really pull you in with the story and it's just this really well written you know sci fi tale. Um, and so you can definitely tell that they took what worked for you know the development of the the cutscenes and the story development in something like Xeno Saga but then you know trimmed down the cinematics at least a little bit and, and found a better way to tell the story in a much mm-hmm. more coherent manner while also um you know not losing any of the pacing with the story because that's that is one thing about mm-hmm. Xeno Saga that a lot of people don't like is that it definitely gets bogged down with with a lot of the cutscenes like it really feels like the pace of the game 
isn't there like to the point where it almost feels like you're pl- you're watching a movie instead of playing a game. Whereas um, Xenoblade, mm-hmm. I think, does a nice balance where, between the cutscenes and the gameplay itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the characters are really um, I like each and every one of them felt very personable. I won't go into like too much into detail in these characters and story. I want people to figure this game out. Yeah. and like this story out so i think we can put a pin on it um gameplay wise i just want to mention xenoblade chronicles one um it's probably my least kind of least favorite compared to like two and stuff like that <laughs> um it's well actually i i get really mixed with one and two because they both have pros and cons yeah um the first one it's you know it's an automatic combat system where you go in into this open world go to a monster and then you're once you're detected you're in conflict and so you have your main character that you control and then you have two other side characters that you kind of manage and you can actually control and switch out party members in between but once you're in conflict you have to beat the monsters and then you're out of conflict. And so once you're in, it, it, there's a regular attack that just keeps on going, just like an MMO. It's just a sword attack or whatever. And you're trying to bog the monsters down. As you um, go throughout the battle, your gauges on the bottom right increases of certain set of skills. And these skills can be whatever. They can be like an extra damage attack, they could be defense buffs or whatever um, your character's geared towards. Now, Xenoblade Chronicles 1, there's not like a specific class mm-hmm. really associated with there, but there are skills that like, oh, this character is more like a tank. This character is more like a healer and so on and so forth. And so even though they don't have set classes, they have like their own type of gameplay strategy to them. Um, yeah. On top of that, there's the break, topple, and launch system in Monsters, which is very important in all Xenoblade Chronicles games, where um, if you nail down a certain combo, you're basically adding additional damage onto a monster, and at the same time, they're not attacking you. So there's a lot of systems in the combat going on ever since the first game. I would say the second game, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, adds a little too much more (laughs) to the combat but that's basically what it is and that's how the pacing goes and then as you beat the monster that you can grab items from them and then you can complete side quests or you can make weapons and so on and so forth yeah um but yeah i i feel the combat's just serviceable it's it's fine um i i like to go through it and it's like okay yep i'm going through this combat system and it's fine and then there's some few extra bonuses as you like reach the true potential of the sword, the Monado with Shulk and whatever. So kind of some cool extra combos on top that makes it really satisfying in the combat. But other than that, um, I didn't, I don't find the combat too active, too engaging. It was just fine uh, yeah. for me. So, and I actually think like the, the combat in this game in particular, just it, it's like, it feels like kind of like the perfect podcast game when it comes to the, yes. the, 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 the combat. Cause even though, you know, it's, it's cool with the music swelling and stuff like that, that you hear while you're playing, I kind of like just listening to podcasts while playing this game because of how simple the combat mm-hmm. is in a lot of scenarios or, um, like I just feel like I can, I can, uh, you know, listen to a podcast while just very chilling out and just running around and killing a bunch of monsters and stuff like that. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And, and I think this one definitely feels the most 
And though like to the point where it also has like positional attacks as well, depending if you're attacking from yeah. the side or from the back as well. Like that's really important for for certain special skills, which again is very similar to MMOs because Final Fantasy 14 does that with all the all the characters in that game too. Yeah. So yeah, cool. it, it's very much cool. like that. So moving mm-hmm. on to our next game, kind of wrapping up Xenoblade Chronicles. We've got to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles X. On the oh, Wii goodness. U, pulling out our game pads. Garrett, did you ever play Xenoblade Chronicles X? Is this the one that you haven't played yet? I've never owned this game. Oh, I don't man. have, I've never owned a Wii U. Um, I I have to say I've tried it out on emulator and it's just like, I don't want to play too much of it because it just seems weird on, on PC. So I honestly, I'm fine skipping it. I am not going to go out of my way to get a Wii U to get this game. Mm-hmm. I think I'm okay. I hope they port it to Switch. If not, I I, I don't feel like I'm losing too much. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah, that's so, my experience. <laughs> fun fact about Xenoblade Chronicles X for folks that don't know or have never played it. It's not connected at all to any of the other games as far as the story yes. works, as far as the world is. Like, There's nothing really connected to the other games. In fact, this was almost like this was meant as a, a, like a soft reboot for Xenoblade Chronicles. And, and it's almost just Xenoblade Chronicles in name only. Um, the combat system is similar to Xenoblade Chronicles. It's kind of similar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like, but it's totally, it's totally a different game. Like it, it, in a, it's a, in a very way, different game. It reminds me of what happened with something like uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 on the NES, where that was a completely different game that just, yes. you know, was rebranded as a Mario game. Like that's how I feel about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 which would probably explain why this is my favorite game that we're going to talk about today. Cause I <laughs> love Xenoblade Chronicles X. And do you know, you want to know the reason why Garrett? Why? Because I love Xeno gears on the PlayStation one. And this okay, is just, yeah. it's this is pretty much just a new Xeno gears game. And I, I, that, I love it. I, I love Xenoblade Chronicles X on the Wii U. So it's, it, it's what they did this time around with Xenoblade Chronicles X specifically is they made it, like Xeno Gears, where it's a mech RPG, where you have characters that fight on the ground, but then during combat, you can summon these giant mechs, and then you're fighting these giant monsters, and you almost have these like kaiju style battles where you've got your giant mech and you're fighting this giant monster, and it, it feels like it's something out of like Pacific Rim or something like that. Um, but it's still, you know, similarly, you know, almost turn based ish like the, the Xenoblade Chronicles games as well. Um, and I just really enjoyed running around this giant open world, killing monsters, you know, upgrading my mechs and just having a great time with with X. Does it have the greatest story in the world? No. Is it really do I do I really need to expect, you know, the story to carry over to anything else or for them to revisit it again? Probably not. But I really, really enjoyed X. I love the combat in it. I loved it. You know, the mech aspect of it. Again, I love mechs. I love the Gundam series, for example. So I was all over this. I love X. I, do you, I think, do you I think, think it'll be lost in Wii U? Yeah. Yeah. Will it be lost in Wii U forever? Will yeah. they ever port it? Ryan? They will never port this game, which makes me sad. And actually, PSA, yeah. speaking of the Wii U, I should mention that we know that the Wii U store is actually closing early next year. And one of, if you ever want to play this game, because I, as I mentioned, I don't ever think it leaves Wii U at this point. So you you will probably need a Wii U to play it. Um, you will need to download the HD textures now. There are free downloadable. Oh my goodness. Uh, there are free downloadable content pack on the eShop, and you will no longer be able to download them 
after a certain date. So after the eShop uh, store uh, closes down, or if you haven't purchased them by August 23rd, then you will no longer be able to purchase the free DLC, which gives you the HD textures for the game, which makes the game look horrible. Like it looks worse than the Wii version of Xenoblade Chronicles <laughs> if you don't have these texture maps back. So it's like, oh my it's goodness. mandatory. And the best part is, Garrett, even if you have the disc, it doesn't matter. You still need them. You still need to download all 15 gigs of data because they didn't include any of it on the disc. So you got to go and get these texture packs before they run out. That's if you so have any crazy. interest at all in playing this game, which is just, it's still, it still boggles the mind, Garrett. I still don't understand how Nintendo does this. Yeah, they they locked it away, man. This game is not coming out of mm. like th- they had Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE coming out of the Wii U Gremlin Locker, but they're not going to. Yeah, they're not pulling this out of the depths uh, yeah. of, of Wii U. Library, I mean, I'm not going to so. say I'm never going to say never, Garrett. I mean, you never know. Yeah, it's possible. Oh, I'm sure it will be on Wii U Nintendo Switch Online in 2033. <laughs> six in our switch seven well how are they going to emulate the gamepad support garrett because all these games take advantage of the gamepad just just don't no like how else are you gonna play you know on your switch three when that happens you know i actually played xenoblade chronicles x on uh, on pc just fine on on a pro you play on a pro controller right um like absolutely yeah yeah this is not one of those games that like requires the gamepad to play. Um, so you definitely can play it without it. So yeah, I still think it's possible that they poured it over, but I, I just think they just forgot about this game or they just don't care at this point. Cause like, honestly, Garrett, yeah. I think we would have seen it by now if they were going to do it. I think they would have, you know, released it after Xenoblade Chronicles two, but before Xenoblade definitive edition came out or who knows, maybe yeah. that's what they do. Um, between now and whenever Monolithsoft's next game is, because we're assuming it's not Xenoblade Chronicles after this, um, maybe that's what they release to tide over Xenoblade fans for whatever you know Monolithsoft's got next or something like that. But yeah, I still we'll really am doubtful we see it. But I would love to because I think this game's great and more people just need to play it. So there you go. But moving on to Xenoblade Chronicles two, you know, I, I okay. as I talked about earlier, you know, I played this game when the Switch mm-hmm. came out. Um, and, and did like the game for a bit, but I'm just going to go come out and say, it. I know console Kato said this too, but I kind of echo this as well. I just don't like Rex, the main character at all in this game. <laughs> and it also is just what it's like between that and the, the poor performance of this game. I'm just like, I just can't do this. Like okay. as much as I you like, don't like Pyra, the character, like the personality of Rex at no, all. I just don't like, like anything about him. It makes me sad. So that that's interesting. Um, I would say Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is it's good. I think the story's good. Um, and the combat's a little better than the first one. It is so anime though. Like yeah. way more anime than the first one. It is um I feel like the first one is pretty mature with its themes, with its cutscenes, with it, it was ruthless. I felt it actually felt like a kind of a Japanese version of The Last of Us where it just felt like you're on edge like the whole time. Too it's like Dragon Ball is like, all right, I'm not as powerful. <laughs> okay, the next scene, I'm even more powerful because I believe in my friends. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh gosh, it's going to be one <laughs> yep. of those games. Um, but uh, I, I feel like, yeah, okay. So Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah, I think um, 
the character so so it's very similar to the first xenoblade chronicles game where your your ragtag game and rex is the main character in this one um and you kind of just try to figure out um it's a completely different world xenoblade chronicles one it's not a direct sequel or anything they're kind of connected but you can honestly play two by itself Rex is this um, kind of the salvager that's kind of like he goes down to the inner depths of the cloud seas in order to get treasure and to make a living. Uh, he lives on the back of a Titan, a very small Titan, and there's many different Titans around uh, in this world. And then a bunch of stuff happens. But basically, he is connected with this um, this this person named Pyra or I would say Blade named Pyra, who is this ultimate uh, weapon or whatever. Um, and you are trying to get to the the tree of life, the center tree uh, that's in the middle of everything um, in order to figure out what's going on with all the Titans that are kind of just dying off um, in, in a way. And so they want to get to like all the way to the top of this tree in order to find some eternal paradise that they dreamed about. And so that's kind of like the synopsis of the story. Um, and so... As I mentioned, Pyra is this blade. In this in this world, there is a driver and blade system. And so what mm -hmm. I mean by that is that the driver is like the regular person, a human or other species or whatever, and they have a connection to a weapon named, uh, it's called a blade. And this blade can be any type of class, any kind of sword or whatever, but they actually draw its energy from ether, which is actually coming from the Titans. And so in order to attain a blade, you get this like crystal core or whatever, you awaken it, and then you automatically have a bond with it. A lot of blades are specialized, and that's what you encounter a lot throughout the game, but probably like most of the blades are kind of this just a blank slate bionicle type of weird thing going on mm -hmm. um but yeah so there's this blade driver system uh on top of the combat there's this lottery system where you get a bunch of these crystal cores that i've been mentioning and you open them up and you can get a random blade or whatever and you can get kind of these common blades or super rare blades that you want to put in your party and so and then it gets pretty complicated because you got drivers in their own skills. You got blades in their own skills. You got the bonds between them. You got the weapons between them. And it comes becomes this whole hodgepodge type of thing. I think they went a little too far on the yeah. systems here. Um, got a little too complex. And that's where I kind of just like became disinterested with the combat a little bit. Um, I, I liked how... They include a little bit more combo systems in the combat itself where um, a blade is associated with an element. And so you can have these combinations of elements uh, throughout like a battle or whatever, and it becomes ultimate attacks. It has some ultimate animation scenes. It becomes really cool like that and pretty satisfying. Um, and then, yeah, the map system is not the best in the world in this one either um they're like there are three layers there's literally three layers of maps there's the overworld yep. map there's within the titan map and then within the area map and it gets really complicated and like it doesn't sh show any height or whatever def differential or whatever so it becomes pretty uh it becomes pretty easy to get lost uh in this world that is one um, thing I remember yeah. about this game, Garrett, from playing. It was just, it was very easy to get lost in this game for that reason. Whereas, yes. like, oh, this, it says my objective here, and I'm, oh, I'm standing on top of it. 
that means I got to get find mm-hmm. like some level down I need to go to. And, and it would usually lead to 20 or 30 more minutes of trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go next. Get, but, but yeah, yeah. Like, you hit the nail on the head with it because I, I do think one of the biggest problems with this game is just, it is overly complicated. They tried too much stuff with this one. I think, yeah. um, which they just did. led to so, some problems with it where I, I liked more of the, the simplistic method with the first one, um, which is one of the reasons why I was let down with the second one combined with how I felt about Rex too. Um, but I, I got like, you know, decently far. I got to chapter seven in this game and that's kind of where I put this game down because, you know, I was having you were close I, then. Yeah, I just I but uh, yeah, I just didn't care anymore. I was like, yeah, there's other games that are out. <laughs> I, now. I need neither other games to play. But uh, yeah, I know a lot of people really love Zealand Big Chronicles 2 um, a mm-hmm. lot. And um, I, I replaying it now, Garrett, because I know, again, you just finished it pretty recently um but mm-hmm. did replaying it now give you like a new appreciation for the game or do you still kind of feel the same way like when it first came out or what what do you think i i like it a lot more now that i played xenoblade chronicles one um because okay. i kind of know what i was getting into um i felt like when i initially started too i i had no idea what i was getting into at that point um i I had a better idea what the combat was, what the direction was. And um, I like how unique this sequel is. It is its own game. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the characters in this one, too. It's a much different type of theme, though. Um, It's it's just basically a game getting together to an end objective. And you have some kind of relationship with the villains uh, throughout the whole game as well. Uh, much more closely than the first one. The first one seems like the villains are just plain evil, whereas this one, it, the villains are a lot more complex. Um, and the themes around their characters, like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Like, what, what you're the anti-hero. I understand why you're the anti-hero. Um, uh, there's a lot of great plot twists in this one as well. It kept me on my toes and I was able to mainline the game. Most of it. I actually did some side stuff, but I mainlined most of it. Um, I it took about 50 hours or so yeah. to beat this game. So not bad, actually. Um, and I really enjoyed the like closer to the ending of it. And of course, I brought the difficulty down to easy. Guys, I don't know what it is with these games, but when I get to the boss fights, I just... I, I it's it's one of those like I give up like I don't want to try to advance my levels I don't want to try to figure out what I'm doing wrong I want to figure out what the next scene is so let me bump it down to easy you mean to tell me you don't want to just go back and kill a bunch of you know bunnies or whatever enemies are just around just to get more grind for more xp and then go no no one wants to do that like I, I and hear the that weird lot. thing like, is the experience like it gives you levels and of course you get a little bit stronger but like you can't really gauge it that much like you, you could be five or six levels ahead and still get your butt kicked and i'm like yeah. I, I don't know what i'm doing wrong and i legit looked up youtube videos and actually i one person from the community actually suggested a youtube video for for me before i played the game so guys just look out there there's some kind of tips on the combat and how to like buff up your character in the beginning of the game to make it way easier for you because the game does not tell you um everything uh in the combat system so there you go of course it doesn't of course it doesn't like why why would it why would they want this game to be easy or you know know, manageable in some cases exactly but uh yeah i mean i i have no 
you know, no problem bumping a game down to easy if I find like I'm, you know, hitting my head against the wall or if I if I know like the difference between me switching to easy or leaving on normal is just me going back and grinding for four hours and then coming back to the same point. At that point, I know that it's just I, I'm just I will always just switch it to easy instead. Like that's just mm-hmm. the, the better road, I think, to go down. Um, and it's, okay. I like to when when games give you the option to switch that midway, because not every JRPG lets you do that. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Well, moving on, Garrett, tell me about Torna. Yes. So I'll, I'll mention a little bit about the DLCs on both. So I did play Future Connected in uh, 2020. That is the direct sequel of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 with the adventure of Shulk and Milia. Um, and uh, Milia is one of the main characters in the first game. And she is kind of like this princess that's kind of a half breed in her society. And she's trying to get her um, kind of her empire or her group kind of back together um, at peace in this land that's kind of like hostile. And so Future Connected, um, really cool. I love how bite-sized it is. It is about 20 hours or so of gameplay. N- there's some new additional combat stuff on top of the original game. But overall, it is a kind of, think of like a big expansive story, very similar to like Witcher 3 expansions, very similar to like Skyrim, where it's, it's just this, it's its own story and you can play it by itself um without the like the knowledge or or the previous game or the main game so there's future connected and then torna yeah okay so torna is very similar where it's like its own story this one is set 500 years before uh the original xenoblade chronicles 2 and has its own story as well but it's referred a lot um throughout the the main story and so you have a lot of the blades so the blades um whenever the driver dies the blade goes back into the core and when it's awakened again it'll be its same form like forever um but their memories are wiped and so you see a lot of the blades in their past uh selves in this game um and it's it's pretty interesting how everything unfolds i know how the ending of this game is because of the main story um and so i'm intrigued by that and and trying to figure out what how did it unfold the way it is now it is bite-sized like future connected um it's its own story um it's very similar to the second game i think it does a lot better job uh, with streamlining the combat compared to the main story i know a lot of people played this before too which was interesting or by itself um you can do that um this game has like very little connection with the second game even though the second game kind of refers back to it like a lot um, but I think the main drawback of this game is the forced side quests of this Ooh. game. Have you heard of this? Like, I, I heard you talking about Sh- Adon Shack this week, but it also, anytime I hear anyone mention that, uh, that's in a game, it just, it's an instant turn off for me. It makes me sad. Um, so they did it once by like, okay, you have this community level where it's like, okay, you got to make it to level two with this community level. That means you do a lot of side quests and, and make sure you're, people are in the community. And so I was like, okay, I can get to level two. That's fine. And then the next time was like, okay, you did one main mission. Now get to level four. And I'm like, and that's like at least 20, 20 ish side quests. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this. I refuse to be force fed side quests as a progression system in the main story. I, I've, I haven't seen this 
um, much at all in a RPG in general. Um, I maybe some that kind of suggested it, but this is straight up like go to side quests in order to progress. I instantly turned off when <laughs> I saw that, and it was just this past weekend. I'm like, no, I'm gonna watch the rest of the cutscenes on YouTube. I don't care. I'm not gonna be forced to do side quests like this. Um, so yeah, that's that's my experience with Torna. That's like the um, weirdest thing too. Is like people keep it's like here people just praise Torna. They're like, this, this is the best Xenoblade Chronicles, you know, content out there. And I'm like, you're making not making it sound too appealing, Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know with some people. I guess like a lot of people, this is their first game that they actually go to, which is interesting. Um, and it's good. I love the presentation in the beginning of it. It's just when they kind of forced me to do side quests and, and the side quest stuff is very similar to the second game. It's not mm-hmm. like any different or spectacular or anything like right. that. It's just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing optional stuff as a requirement um, like this. So, and, and it gets very petty with their side quests like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, where you you have to like level up certain attributes of your blades in order to get like like these skill checks, you know, forestry and trees and plants and whatever. It was to the point where I had to craft something to make a favorite dessert item for this person and I have to give it to them five times in order to level up a skill check where I can pass off in a side quest. That's oh that's not good. That's not <laughs> no. good design at all in a side quest. It's just terrible. So Torna, I can't finish it. So hearing you explain Sorry, that it just breaks my brain. It makes me sad. I, and makes me a little bit, you know, less excited because I do have my copy of Torna coming later this week. Um because yeah. I ordered it like four months ago. Um and I've, been, I've been waiting for it to come ever since, and it it'll be here this week. So there's that. But I know we're kind of on borrowed time, Garrett, with your internet. So I think we should <laughs> skip right ahead to Xenoblade Chronicles 3. You know, we're not going to say too much about it because um, mm-hmm. I think maybe we do something for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 when we play it. Um, but I do yes. want us to at least talk about, I want to gauge your hype, Garrett. Where is your hype level yes. for Xenoblade Chronicles 3? How like stupidly excited are you for this game on Friday? I am through the roof excited for this game just because of all the positive things that i've been saying about xenoblade chronicles 1 and 2 the story is fantastic um i've read a couple of reviews and i've seen the gameplay i've seen what it looks like it looks so much better than 2 it looks so much better like the ui looks clean the combat looks great i thank you for getting rid of the driver blade system i just get rid of it altogether um i i all around, I'm very excited for this game. Even I, I've read a couple of reviews. I watched um, three re- reviews as well. And like I think I'm on par of expectations of w- what I'm going to get out of this game. So very excited about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. What about yeah. you? I'm actually more excited than I was when it first when it was first announced. Like this was a game that, you know, I was like, it's fine. It's more Xenoblade. Like, I'm glad, you know, Xenoblade mm-hmm. fans are getting excited about this one. But then as we started to learn more and more about this game, Garrett, I got just more excited about it because it, I feel like this kind of fixes a lot of the stuff I had problems with in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And I, I liked Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and X a lot. So mm-hmm. 
I think it's closer to that and while also doing some it new is. stuff as well. And that's exactly what I want from a game like this. And, and plus it looks like a lot of the performance issues are out the window too. So I'm stoked for this game. I'm actually pretty excited that it's coming on Friday. I'm probably not going to start it right away. Cause I'm going to, I'm still, I'm actually playing live alive right now. Um, so I kind that, of want to, yeah. I want to play that first. Um, plus I, I do kind of want to finish another Xenoblade game before I play this. I just knew because I wanted to have the collector's edition. Like if I, if I didn't order it now, I was never going to get it. And uh, likewise, physical copies too are going to be imagine. I imagine be crazy. You know, very rare for this game beyond, you know, day one or even the, the first couple of weeks. So I was just like, I had no problem just picking it up right away and putting it up my shelf until later, whenever I'm ready to play it. So, um, cool. but I'm actually pretty excited for this. Like I'm more excited for this than I've ever been for a Xenoblade game, which says a lot. So I'm actually pretty excited for this one to come out on Friday. I, I hope Xenoblade fans in particular actually get, you know, everything they want from this one as well. Mm-hmm. Well, to round out this conversation, Garrett, we got more questions from the community. And also, you know, we asked people what their hype level was for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So I want us to touch on that before we go and hopefully before Garrett's internet breaks again. So we're going to start <laughs> with famous Seamus, the most famous of all Seamuses, who asked the question. And actually, he asked three questions here. One, this might be, uh, I, I might as well ask the obvious. Should I play the other Xenoblade Chronicles games before playing three? Garrett, as the person who's finished all the Xenoblade Chronicles games, because I haven't, what do you think? What, what do you think Famous Shima should do? Um, I've read some reviews of Xenoblade Chronicles three, um, and I would say you don't have to. Um, okay. It's a separate world enough by itself that you will have pretty much the same um experience as any like like anyone that has played beforehand i i but i would say they are connected in some way um especially the first two um it's clear as day how they're connected now it's still pretty separate like their stories are they're they're really separate but the worlds are connected somehow so take that with a grain of salt yeah and actually, too, I think it's a better starting point than probably Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was for the things that we talked yeah. about when you were talking about that, where I just the combat wasn't very approachable for newcomers to the series. And mm-hmm. whereas I think three sounds like it's it fixes that in a big way as well. So, yes. I'm actually in agreement with Garrett. I actually think like even if I decided not to go back and pick up the other Xenoblade games, I would actually probably feel OK jumping into this one and being having this be my first. So. Mm-hmm. There you go. But Seamus also asked, what are some of your favorite characters or favorite tracks from the soundtracks from the other games? Again, we won't go too in depth with this one, especially too, because I don't know about you, Garrett, but because it's so long, been so long since I played these games, I just don't really go back and listen to the Xenoblade soundtracks. So I don't really have like any particular themes in mind for favorite music. But what do you got for me? What do you got for this question? You know, soundtracks they're I don't, I don't really listen too much of the music of Xenoblade Chronicles games. Like I know they're there, um, mm-hmm. but I, I haven't found any of them have like a good background music or whatever. Like they're just fine. Um, Torna, I do like the battle um, encounter music. It's like this kind of jazzy type of music with piano and some dissonance in there. So I feel like that's cool. 
Um, it's really annoying in two where the cutscenes, their music is super loud and the character voices are super soft. And so you can't really <laughs> make out what they're saying. And I'm like, I know this is trying to be emotional and everything, but I literally can't hear right now. So I felt the music a little bit more nuisance than anything uh, from the Xenoblade Chronicles games, but I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're great. Um, uh, favorite characters, I would say top three, um, Mithra from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, and then Nia as well from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Those two, um, like, I, I guess, uh, girl, female characters, they have their own attitude. They have their own personality. They are, they, they don't care what other people think about them. And like, they have their own drives and goals. And I, and I think that's really cool. Um, and then also Melia, um, from the first game. Uh, she is a really cool character as well, um, trying to be a leader. And she goes through a lot of struggles um, throughout her story arc as well. So those are my top three Xenoblade characters for sure. Nice. Yeah, actually, th- like even though I didn't love Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I actually think you had two great you know, picks from that game as far as characters mm-hmm. concerned. I like Mia a lot. You know, I like you know her sassiness and I like Mithra a lot as well. Um, so actually, I, I think you've got um some some good character choices there and then uh xenoblade chronicles one i actually really like shulk a lot too you know i know that's kind of an easy answer but i just like his character i i like his style so i wanted to to Mm -hmm. give him a bit of a shout out here but yeah i think you've got a good list there garrett but next up we got gags at on gags is his name on twitter uh they asked the question how expansive do we think the story DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles three is going to be? Cause we do know that there's the, that I think it's $30. That is the, uh, yes, the, the season pass for it. Um, is it going to be future connected, uh, Torna golden country level expensiveness? How big do you think this DLC is Garrett? I think, I think they're going to kind of do similar size to Torna or yeah. Torna is probably what I would expect for the size of this DLC. But what do you think? What do you think they're going to do? Yes. They haven't said I I agree. Yes, because Xenoblade Chronicles 2 th- uh, expansion pass was $30 as well and include Torna. Um, they're just going through the same thing here. $30, it'll be this new expansion. Looking at the icon, there's like a third sword in there. So, And, and the, there's the three swords. The sword from the uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Rex's sword and Shulk's sword. So... <laughs> I'm sure there's some type of connection going on in this expansion. Um, so yeah. there you go. Hint, hint. Yeah. yeah. And it, it'll even, I, I you know, I'm going to go out on record right now and say it'll probably be, you know, bought, bought standalone like Torna as well. So you could probably buy it separately. Yes. As well from the, the season pass. Uh, next up, we got, you know, two people who weighed in on about how excited they are for this. Quagmire on the Discord says, so my hype level is off the charts for this game. I think the last game I was hyped for this much was Diablo 3. Being an avid Diablo 2 player back in the day, my question for you guys is Xenoblade has been relatively niche for Nintendo. It seems like they are marketing this one heavier than the previous installments in the series and the quality of life improvements that have been announced appear to make it the most accessible Xenoblade Chronicles game to date. Does three have a chance to hit the mainstream like Persona five did a few years ago? So Hmm. I personally, you know, as the non Xenoblade fan of the two of us, I mean, again, I don't hate the games, but I'm just definitely not of the Xenoblade fan that Garrett is in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, I still don't think it'll be enough to 
breach the mainstream. I think it'll probably be the best selling Xenoblade game if I had to if I had to guess. But I don't think it's going to do more than something like Metroid Dread does as far as, you know, mm. sales numbers does. Like, I don't I don't know if it breaks three million sales because it is a niche thing, because you have to consider even very popular JRPG series don't sell over that number either. Like, uh, yeah, like there are exceptions to that. But for the most part, most series are not like that. Like even Persona 5, for example, has barely like sold five million. Or yeah, like, like it's that. it's not even yeah. a huge amount, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and, and not only that too, but what Persona Five had going for it was the fact that it was on PlayStation Four at a time like where just over like so many people were playing RPGs on PlayStation Four. Like PlayStation Four, I think is more known as a, uh, an RPG console than Switch is to some people. Like, yes, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great RPGs on Switch, but I feel like at the time Persona Five came out there were more people playing RPGs on uh, PlayStation 4 than there are, p- are people like entrenched in RPGs on Switch currently. Um, mm. Combined with the fact too that just Persona is a more easy series to get into because none of the games are connected at all in any way, shape or form and they're so visually different from each other anyways. That's just like, that's what brought people into Persona 5 more than anything. Um, whereas I just don't know if Xenoblade can really get there. Um, mm. Especially when it's like, sci-fi in nature too which just i think just appeals to less people than you know walking around a modern day city and and it being more grounded in reality than something like persona is but garrett what do you think am mm-hmm. i off base with this that's a i mean it's a very good question um i i think you you hit a like a really good points uh about the comparison with persona 5 i think what really had persona 5 going was it's one it's like fan base like really cheering for it and also being on ps4 and having that style like Mm -hmm. that that jrpg style the music is very inviting the combat's turn-based so i think that's a little bit more approachable than xenoblade is um i think xenoblade chronicles 3 has the potential to have the highest sales compared to its previous installments and i think there's a reason why they brought over the definitive edition um, over to Switch to bring more um, people into the fan base and get hyped for the third game. I think the Switch fan base is the largest. It, it's 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 huge now, um, and I think its Nintendo fan base is, um, even though a lot of them don't play RPGs, are very interested. Is in, like, oh, this game that's Nintendo published, that it's like its latest game ever that's coming out on Switch. I don't think a lot of people know this, that Monolith helps out Zelda series a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the Nintendo fans do. Um, and, and at least like a lot of them do. And so I think they're intrigued about this game. Um, I don't think, I, I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be mainstream. I don't think it's going to be popular. I think it's because it's the inherent nature of Xenoblade series. Like it's not too approachable for newcomers for new rbg fans i would highly mm-hmm. suggest mario plus rabbits i would highly suggest other role-playing games compared to xenoblade first just because of how um as you as i explained it how convoluted everything can be but mm-hmm. um i i still think um there's a reason why nintendo's really pushing it they've been advertising this game a lot more than alive alive um which is an interesting thing to do um they've been really pushing this more than any other previous xenoblade chronicles game so i think they they see the untapped potential 
still in, in this type of series. So I'm very interested to see these sales from Xenoblade Chronicles three. Absolutely. And I think we've heard anecdotally as well, just from people we know in the community that, you know, a lot of people are saying that this is going to be their first game Mm -hmm. that they're picking up for Xenoblade Chronicles. So I think a lot more people are going to get into it, but it's just, yeah, I don't see if it is hitting, you know, the same stride as Persona five, but you never know. I might get closer. I mean, a lot of people said the same thing about fire emblem awakening, and that, mm-hmm. it, that, that game almost, you know, was the end of the Fire Emblem series and it totally turned everything around with how well it sold on 3DS. But I think it was also timing yep. too had a lot to do with it. And I do think the July window, I think, works a little bit better in its favor than when, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 came out in December, as an yes. example. So I do think yeah. I think there's a lot going for this one. But last last comment comes to us from Nagachaka at Nagashaka, who says my hype levels are off the chart for the game and my expectations are unreasonably high since this game needs to make up for the disappointment that was Mario Strikers <laughs> and what that caused for us all. I mean, it's got that Daisy DLC now. You never know. Mario Strikers might come back, but <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Nice. Well, there you go. That, so those are our Xenoblade Chronicles questions. But Garrett, we got more yes. one more question this week that has nothing to do with Xenoblade Chronicles at all. <laughs> So we're going to read it. This comes to us from Brian Eck on the Discord, who says, what are some of your favorite isometric RPG games and what game would you recommend for a newcomer to isometric RPGs? Now, Garrett, Mm. we've talked about isometric RPGs before because isometric RPGs are also known as CRPGs or computer RPGs, and neither of us are really super into them. So no. I don't know if we're really the experts to, to talk about it, but uh, Brian, if you want to, if you're as a newcomer to answer your question, as far as what game I would recommend, if you have an Xbox and you have game pass, one game I'd actually recommend to check out is uh, wasteland three. Um, it's a post apocalyptic one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a post apocalyptic uh, XCOM style um, isometric RPG. That's just got this like really wacky, sense of humor to it like it, it very much feels like the fallout games so if you've played any of the fallout games before you'll you'll feel right at home with this one um this is a game that both me and sean capri when this came out like we were both very skeptical about this game but we, as soon as we picked it up we were like this game's amazing like we had a ton of fun playing it for a couple of weeks and then talking about it so that's the game i would probably recommend is like the best way to start especially if you're a console player um so, but otherwise, like our favorite isometric RPGs, like I just don't have any many to choose from because it's just not a genre that I've been super into. Um, like mm-hmm. I like Baldur's Gate 2 and Icewind Dale and stuff like that. But even then, I'm like, they're not even some of my favorite RPGs. But Garrett, I got to ask you, yeah. what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll definitely suggest, you know, on top of Wasteland 3, Mario plus Rabbids is kind of like an isometric role playing game. I guess you can say they're XCOM like. I, I like that. Yeah. That's a subgenre within itself. So it's a good XCOM like game. Um, I would suggest Diablo three is like my like easy go to isometric role playing game. It's an action um, isometric role playing game. Um, I would play on Switch. I think it's great on Switch unless you have want to connect with other friends and play on PC or something else. Um, Diablo four is about to come out next year. It's fantastic. Yep. Loot grinding role-playing game um and i heard divinity original sin 2 is fantastic and that's actually cross-save between switch and steam uh so go check that one out as well yeah and divinity is like 
The only thing I would say about Divinity is a lot. It's a lot more hardcore into this. It's very genre, hardcore, so, and, and it's very systems based. So it's not the game I would start with. Like I would start yeah. to your point, Garrett, with more something more like Mario plus Rabbids or any of the Diablo games. Just pick one; they're all great. Um, like I think those would be the places to start. Or like I mentioned, Wasteland Three I think is also a good starting point. Yeah. But Divinity is the game that like once you get a game or two under your belt, that's the game maybe you go to from yeah. there. And see if you like it. Um, the nice thing about Diablo 2 or any of the Diablo games is that uh, they're probably going to be on Game Pass next year. So probably uh, you might not even have to go and buy them, especially Diablo 4. Oh, my God. I can't wait for me, that to be like a game day one Game Pass game. Garrett, that would like, be great. That's going to be so good. But mm-hmm. anyways, we got to get going before <laughs> Garrett's Internet gets shut down on us. So before we go, <laughs> Garrett, let's go. You can follow me on Twitter at Blaine Explosion. You can also find me on the Nintendo Shack, part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network, where we're live every Thursday evenings over at twitch.tv slash PSVG. And we release on all podcast services, including Apple, Google, you know, iHeartRadio and other things. Um, so go check us out over there. And that's pretty much it. All the places where pods are caught, you can go get it there. Well, as for me, yep. you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Turford. I don't tweet, you much, tweet much, but you can go follow me there anyways if you want to. You can follow us on Twitter as well at Carpool Gaming. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Carpool Gaming and on podcast services around the globe. So for Garrett Bland, I'm Ryan Turford. This has been level 57 of the RPG Cave and go play some Xenoblade Chronicles 3 fam and we're out. Bye-bye. The RPG Caves mana is fueled by patrons over at patreon.com slash carpool gaming. And we want to give a shout out to all of our ultimate producers, starting with Tony Baker from the Quest for Pixels podcast. Please subscribe to youtube.com slash Quest for Pixels today. Dallas Ford, the co-host of The Blame Game. You can support Dallas over on YouTube as well and help those guys get to 100 subs, please. They deserve it. We've also got Emily O'Kelly. Trucker Sloth, Jonathan Brown. You can find his new album in my element over on Spotify and Apple Music. Go download it. It's awesome. Lee Navarro, the fearless leader of the Phoenix Overdrive Extra Life team. If you want to join us for Extra Life, head on over to Extra Life. Sign up for the be part of the Phoenix Overdrive team and join us in Rome, New York in November. Skinny Matt hosting Carpool Gaming Nights over on twitch.tv slash Skinny Matt K. Go, for, go ahead and go over and give him a follow over there. And Robbie Bobby Miller. You can find him over on Twitch at twitch.tv tv slash robbie bobby miller all the links are in the show notes for all of these awesome producers also our platinum producers brendan myers marcus mccracken becky rubin navarro and rj kern and our gold members anna argo cicely carosa dallas robbins dano foolish fuji jose amenez marcus o'neill mostly martinez Nagachaka, the Snack Network, and Mr. and Mrs. Nasty Boots. Thank you all for all of your support. And of course, you can head on over to patreon.com slash carpool gaming and choose the tier that's right for you.